Welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osby. I'm here with my friend, Chabruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Yevamot, daf Samachay, page 65. Well, we have a new Mishnah here that now gets into some more of the specifics about Purvavu. Interesting that it comes after the Mishnah of the Machlokas of Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. I would have probably put them in a different order, but I would have reordered a lot of the Mishnah. So, you know, <laughs> I'm not... But I'm going to give it that Rabbi Yehuda Nasi knew what he was doing much better than I did. So the Tanakhama tells us that a man is commanded to do pura revu, but not a woman. And the most famous explanation for this is why is because childbirth is, is actually dangerous. And therefore, we can't actually command a woman to do something that actually could. Rabbi Yochanan ben Broca Omer al Rabbi Yochanan ben Broca says, no, actually both man and woman are obligated to have children and in this mitzvah pru revu. Hu omer vayrech otam elokim vayomer lahem pru revu. And his proof of this is, is that in the Pasuk in Genesis chapter, in Bereshi chapter one, verse 28, it says, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. So I have to say Rabbi Yochanan ben Broca's proof is pretty good. It's also interesting that the Mishnah brings a proof. That's not usually uh, something that happens. Usually we just state the two different opinions. And then the Gemara goes through to try to figure out how did they get those two different opinions. So uh, it's interesting to me to just note that this Mishnah records uh, Rabbi Yochanan ben Broca's uh, proof. And I, I guess for me, part of the reason may be is that I think the Tanakama tends to be the more accepted opinion, Right. I think many of us have been taught, oh, pru-revu is only an obligation of the man. And maybe the Mishnah, therefore, includes the proof, because the proof is sort of, in a way, very overwhelming. Uh, but, Anne, I know you're going to talk about that um, a little bit more. So then the Gemara wants to actually figure out what the Tanakhama's proof is, right? Menahani Mile, right? From where do we get this, that a woman isn't obligated? I'm a Rabbi Eli, Mishum Rabbi Elazar, but Rabbi Shimon, Amar Kra, Umilua Ta'arj Bekeev Shuha, right? So, again, this is the second part of this pasuk, which says, um, it, so the whole pasuk reads, So the Tanakhama's opinion is based on the second half of this pasuk, which says, and fill the land and conquer it, right? Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the land and conquer it. And it makes a rather, I don't know, interesting approach or interpretation. It is the manner of a man to conquer and not a manner of the woman to conquer. So since the idea of conquering the land is mentioned in this pasuk, and conquering is not something that women would do, obviously this pasuk could only be addressed to men. Adarabah. So then the Gemara says, no, on the contrary. Vikibshuha, right, and conquer it, right? It's written in the plural, charte mashma. So it's trying to say, like, you still haven't gotten over the plural issue. Now, again, they're not asking it even on the first half of that pasuk, that Rabbi Yochanan ben Broca so, you know, clearly states, and Puru Revu seems to be addressed to both of them. Amar of Nachman bar Yitzchak, If you look at the actual writing, and we see this sometimes in the Torah, it's written um, versus how it's pronounced can be different. And so it's actually written um, without the letter Vav. So it could be pronounced as Vikav which would actually mean that it's in the singular. Rav Yosef Amar Mihalcha, Rav Yosef says the proof comes from here. Ani Kel Shaddai Prea Urevei. And so here, this is a pasuk later on in Bereshi, chapter 35, verse 11, where it says, I am God, 
be fruitful and multiply. Right in there, in that pasuk, it's singular, and it's not the plural of, uh, it's not the plural of pru or revu. And then finally, uh, they have another statement here, which is interesting, right? Which says, Right, so what does he say? Again, Rabbi Eli says the name of Rabbi Eli and the son of Rabbi Shimon, right? Just as it is a mitzvah for, for a person to say that which will be uh, listened to, so it is a mitzvah for a person not to say that which won't be listened to. In other words, we don't give rebuke to a person who will be unreceptive to that message. Rabbi Abba Omer Chova. Rabbi Abba says no. It, Rabbi Abba says it's actually an obligation for him not to speak it. Here they quote a pasuk from Mishle, chapter nine, verse eight. I, you know, I know that they put this here as sort of a, um, uh, 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 you know, just as another independent um, sort of uh, teaching here. But I did wonder if maybe we could make, and this may be a little bit of a stretch some kind of connection uh, between the previous teaching and this teaching, like would this in a way be because women do bear the brunt of actually carrying the baby and delivering the baby that almost in a way, like it's not something you could ask them to do. I don't know. This may be like too much because the next teaching is not actually connected to it at all. But that's why I just wanted to read that one because I thought it was interesting. Um, but, you know, it's it's looking at what the Gemara does with these psukim here, Right. They still have not dealt with, to me, what's the elephant in the room, which is Rabbi Yochanan ben Broca's actual proof, which seems to be that Hashem is talking to both Adam and Chava and commanding both man and woman to actually, you know, uh, fill the land. And it's almost like the Gatanakama's proof has to go out of its way in a very roundabout way and in an atypical way, right? Normally, when we have a, a proof of one Tana versus another, the Gemara then wants to say, okay, well, what does the other person do with this proof? They don't even bother with that here with the Tanakama. And I, I, I think maybe part of that is, is because that proof is so overwhelmingly strong with, with Rabbi Yochanan and Broca. So I guess now having learned this Mishnah and learning this Gemara, it's surprising to me in a way that it's the Tanakama's opinion that actually is the one that has sort of been the dominant opinion. I mean, Anne, would you agree with that? Like, I think that's how most people teach the Halach or Pru-Ravu. But it's not convincing to me after learning it inside of your vamos. Um, I think that's the psak and the shulchan aruch, meaning, I, you know, rambam shulchan aruch. I think that that's why we kind of that's why the first opinion sounds so familiar to us because it is so familiar to us right, because it is the psak. But it's that. But when you learn the gemara and the source, it doesn't actually make sense that that's what the psak is. If you look uh, so at the I think it, for it. But so that's the thing, meaning Rav Yochanan ben Broca is reading the verse, right? And the verse is in plural, so of course this is also going to be both of them, because otherwise how do you get a plural? And that makes perfect sense, except for that the halacha doesn't paskin like the plural of the verse, which is interesting, right? The, the halacha is more cautious, shall we say, if we take that rationale that it's, you know, there's no, there's not going to be a tzivoy, there's not going to be a command, um, there's no mitzvah for her to endanger herself. So God, right, in the midst of Puravu, 
let's say, you know, there, there's so many ways you can interpret it, right? Like God is talking only to Adam and Chava in terms of the plural of it, let's say, for example, right? The, then you don't have to, because he might have known that Chava wasn't going to have any issue in delivering, but what about all the future future women who might have, um, you know, issues with childbearing and put their lives in danger? Meaning there are ways to get around the plural of the Torah in addition to saying that, you know, Chazal are allowed to make that caution, right? I think the idea that they're both obligated is interesting, but it's very clearly not psak. Yeah, I, I agree. But I just, again, when you read the Gemara itself, it doesn't totally make sense to me. All right, you're going to look at Rabbi Yochanan and Broca's uh, opinion a little bit more. Well, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's kind of weird. Is it, where does the Gemara take it? So I'm on, I'm a bet. Um, Rabbi Yochanan ben Baruch Omer, right? That's the citation from the mission that you've just read. And again, his position, as we've now said, right? But just to put it all together, is that women are indeed included in the mitzvah to be fruitful and multiply. So Itamar, right? So the Gemara says that it, that it was said that Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi Chanamar alachik Rabbi Yochanan ben Baruchah, but Chanamar ain't halachik Rabbi Yochanan ben Baruchah. So there's a machloket here between Rabbi Yochanan, meaning not Rabbi Yochanan ben Baruchah, Rabbi Yochanan our usual Rabbi Yochanan, and Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, is the halacha like Rabbi Yochanan ben Broca or not? And it's interesting, I think, that the Gemara here is, you know, do we, the Gemara's phrasing is, do we pass like Rabbi Yochanan ben Broca or not? The Gemara does not restate the dispute, right? It doesn't say, um, are women, uh, you know, obligated in the midst of Puravu or not. It just says, like, where the question is, are we upholding Rabbi Yochanan ben Baruka as compared to the Tanakama? Which I think is, you know, pretty much, Yardina, a restatement of how you phrased it as well. So the Gemara says, to Stayim, we can conclude Rabbi Yochanan hu amar ein halacha So what happens? The passage that I read before, it says we've got these two people, Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Yosho ben Levi, and then the Gemara says, one says this and one says that. Chadamar, Chadamar. It doesn't tell us which is which. So the first thing the Gemara wants to do, of course, is to line up the positions with their with the people who said them. So the Gemara first says, right, so what happens? So we're going to say that Rabbi Yochan is, is the one who does who does not paskin, who says that the halacha is not like Rabbi Yochan and Broca, meaning that women are not obligated, according to Rabbi Yochanan, women are not obligated in the midst of Puravu, because Rabbi Abau sat there and sat wherever he sat, right, in the Beit Midrash, and said, namely, in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, that the halacha is in accord with Rabbi Yochanan and Broca. Rabbi Abba said this, and then what happens? Rabbi Ami and Rabbi Asi, who are also there with Rabbi Abba, they turn their faces, meaning that they disagree with Rabbi Abba's report, meaning they disagree with Rabbi Abba saying that this was Rabbi Yochanan's opinion. But they don't want to like contradict Rabbi Abba, so they're being polite, and they're just like, making a little bit of a frowny face or, or turning away a little bit rather than arguing with him. But the point being that these two um, disagree with the, you know, with the claim that Rabbi Yochanan, um, when Rabbi Abau says that Rabbi Yochanan agreed with Rabbi Yochanan and Broca, they say, no, 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 he did not. Okay. And then we've got another version of the same incident where instead it's going to be instead of, Rabbi, uh, instead of it being, 
Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Abal, whatever. It's Rabbi Chia Bar Abba and Rabbi Ami and Rabbi Asi, again, who turn their faces. And then, um, so why why are they doing this, right? Like, what do they care to argue with Rabbi Abal? Amr of Papa, Bishlama Lamandama, Rabbi Abal, Amra Mishum Kavod Bekesar, Lo Amrulo Lovalo Mide. So what happens? Because of the honor in the in the Bay Kesar, the house of the Caesar, right? Where Rabbi Abel apparently was well connected. So Rabbi Ami and Rabbi Asi don't want to like rock that boat. They don't want to argue with him. They don't want to start up. Rather, they just kind of like hint that they don't really agree. But if you don't think it's Rabbi Abel and you think it's Rabbi Chiyabar Abba, then why didn't Rabbi Ami and Rabbi Asi like, just say straight out, like, no, we don't agree with you. Rabbi Yochanan didn't say this, which I think is a fine question, right? Meaning, what are they being, what are they tiptoeing around the issue if they don't have any political concerns to look out for? The Gemara goes on, my hava Allah, what was the conclusion? Tashma, meaning, because at the end of the day, we need a conclusion. This is, this was your point, Yardina, that the Mishnah does not seem to wrap it up as nicely as, a, as what we now have as a halacha. Tashma da Amr Rabbi Achabar Chanina Amr Rabbi Abau Amr Rav Asi Uvda Hava Kamed Rabbi Yochanan Beknista de Kesari. So what happens there? It happened that Rabbi Yochanan was there was a an event there was a dispute that came before Rabbi Yochanan in the shul in Kesaria. The Amar and they said, um, "What's the case? The case is um, the Sarah case, right? Meaning the issue of." A woman who wants a divorce, in this case, it's a woman who wants a divorce from her husband because they've been married for 10 years and they have no children. And he, Rabbi Yochanan says, Rabbi Yochanan says that the husband has to give her a get and has to give her the money, the ketuba money, right? Right? Meaning, if you want to say that she has no command to be fruitful and multiply, then why would the marriage contract be going be getting paid to her? Meaning, why does she even have the right to say, "I want to be divorced"? If she, if it's not her mitzvah, then he should maybe be leaving. He should maybe be getting divorced. But what is what's her right to do so? Right? Maybe she wants to get remarried so that she can try to have children with somebody else. But in terms of there being a right that she should get the ketuba money, it seems to me that this is like a a case arguing in favor of Rabbi Yochanan and Baroka that there is a mitzvah on the woman. The Gemara says, So the Gemara says, well, but listen, there's other details that maybe we don't know here. Maybe this was a case when she came to the, she wanted the divorce because she wants children for a different reason. Meaning maybe it's not because of a mitzvah to be fruitful and multiply, but she wants children to be fulfilled, whatever. Meaning as long as she can justify whatever her, her, you know, interest in divorce is, then it's fair for the court to say that she has to, that he has to divorce her and pay the ketubah. So the Gemara goes on, and I know I'm talking for a long time here, but the, it's kind of all one issue of all these different cases, uh, you know, which are the development of the Mishnah. So what happens? There's a different woman who came before Rabbi Ami. She wanted a divorce. Again, her husband has not provided her with any children. Havli ketubah. So she says, it's a little bit different, of a, it's a different case. She says to her husband, give me the ketubah money. Amar and she, 
he says to her, Zeal, lo mi pakta, mi pakta, sorry, mi pakta. It's hard because it's dalatav at the same time. It's a hard kuf dalatav. You go practice that. Um, so what happens, right? The she he says, you know, go away. You are not. You have no pikud. You have no commandment to be fruitful. Multiply. So you don't get to demand a divorce. Amrale, um, she says back to him, misivu dila mai tehave ala So she says to him, well, when I get to be old, you know, what's going to be with? With this woman, meaning speaking about herself, right? If she doesn't have any children, who's going to take care of her when she grows old? There are plenty of reasons to want to have children besides the fulfillment of the mitzvah of Puravu. Amar, and he says, And so the Rabbi Ami says, well, in a case like that, we certainly would make sure that the husband would divorce her and pay the ketubah. Meaning, here's a woman who comes with a different rationale that isn't about the mitzvah of Puravu. So you can't say to her, you don't have a mitzvah of Puravu because that's not her point. She wants children anyway, and she's not getting them from this marriage. Let her go try somebody else. Meaning, again, long before advanced reproductive techniques. And then similarly, another case where a woman comes before Rav Nachman, she wants a divorce. Again, she doesn't have any children. Her husband hasn't provided her with children. Uh, and presumably these men have not been married before to father children with other women, right? That's, I think, part of the story here. And he says to her, right? You also, you are not commanded to be fruitful and multiply. And she says, she says to him, but doesn't a woman require a staff, a stick, a staff for her hand, and a hoe for her burial? Meaning you still have to have somebody to take care of you at the end of the end of your days, in your old age and at the end of your days for burial. Amar, and he says, Again, in this such a case, we would definitely make sure. The Rav Nachman says we would definitely make sure that the husband would give a divorce to make sure that she can, you know, try to have children who will care for her in her old age, um, which I think is a much, I don't know, there's still something a little bit mercenary about this that I don't really go for, as opposed to like, oh, we want to be a family or all the beautiful brachot that people might have about having children. But I think that there's a very real, larger picture here than simply counting up the mitzvah points of you know, are you obligated to the mitzvah of Puravu or not? There are plenty of reasons to want children otherwise. Likewise for women. So I think that at the end of the day, this might also explain your dinner, why Rabbi Yochanan ben Broca's position is not upheld as halacha, because women can want to have children without it being a mitzvah also. So we're not going to make it required, you know, incumbent upon her because, because of that danger. So, I, you know, it's interesting because I think the Gemara here is getting into, you know, that there's, what other mitzvah do we have where somebody sort of like wants to do the mitzvah or there's sort of another motivation to do the mitzvah? Like, I don't, I mean, yes, there are people who are like, oh, I like matzah, I could eat it all year. But it's not like there's a desire for matzah, right? Like there's a desire to fulfill that mitzvah. And I think what the Gemara is picking up here with these stories is, is yes, there's a mitzvah of pru revu, but let's also be honest, having children or that desire fulfills an emotional human need. And that makes it a little bit different, or let's say a lot different 
then I would say I can't think of any comparable mitzvah unless we want to say the the mitzvah to get married. Okay. But can I, I can I try yeah. to can I try to encapsulate it maybe a little bit differently? <coughs> Excuse me. I think the question is why there's a mitzvah for anybody because right. don't people want to have children? Don't they want to carry on their line, their name, their have right. I mean, children look, to care for their old age? We know there are people who don't, but most people sure. Are, but the majority of people, I would say, more people fall into the category of wanting than non-wanting. And I and I want to say this with like, I respect someone who says it's not what they want, you know? I'm not, but- A hundred percent, but and in but, a different But I hear era. what you're saying. In other words, why does it need to be a mitzvah when let's say most humans will fall into the category of actually wanting that? I don't right. know. Right, then, and so then when we say like, it's a mitzvah on the man and not on the woman, so we can talk about it in a, in a more- um, practical kind of way you know well the man has to outlay certain money well the woman her life might be in danger right like it ends up being kind of a a calculating a calculated conversation instead of like a simply a recognition that uh, i don't know i i think that most people are hardwired at least at some point in their lives it might get drummed out of them or they might change their mind or it might not work right physical the physical capacity to be able to bear children or to father children is as we're seeing here is not always you know innate but but as a species i feel like every species wants to propagate that, you, you said know, that the, perfectly it's as a species right we're not talking about individuals we're talking about as a species um and i think that's important but um right so i think maybe that's what rabbi yochanan and broca is picking up on is that as a species that's something that's inherent to both men and women and therefore, that's what that pasuk reflects. Why wouldn't it be incumbent upon both man and woman? And, you know, even the fact that the Gemara acknowledges cases of sort of permitting divorce because women have sort of ulterior motives. I don't not, I don't mean ulterior in like a bad way, but just there are things that having a child fulfills for them. And that being even an acceptable reason for divorce is very interesting. That's our draft discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcasts. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think of this stuff. Thank you to Rabbi Nate Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Music.